research that resonates. Schweitzer has not been wrong on any of his years and years of reporting on the Bidens. Investigations that matter. If your last name wasn't Biden, do you think you would have been asked to be on the board of Burisma? I don't know. I don't know. Probably not. But that's, you know, I, I don't think that there's a lot of things that would have happened in my life that, uh, that if my last name wasn't Biden. The only entities, the only people that would report on this, and Peter Schweitzer, who deserves a Medal of Freedom, in my view, this is The Drill Down with Peter Schweitzer. Hi, this is Peter Schweitzer, and welcome to The Drill Down, where we relentlessly expose cronyism, corruption, and the abuse of power in Washington, D.C. I'm joined, as always, with Eric Eggers, who's an author and vice president here at the Government Accountability Institute. So it's the fall, and your four adorable kids, I say adorable because they look nothing like you, Thank you. are in school. But it kind of got me wondering, what were you like as a student? I mean, did you actually get good grades? Were you studious? What was your uh, basic academic performance when you were young? What are you writing a book? Well, how was your school performance? You <laughs> not know? great. Not great, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, no, mine wasn't either. Uh, I, and not really in, no, never um, in high school or in college. In high school one time, I got a bad report card and I just realized, you know what? I'm just going to not bring it home. And did they notice my parents absolutely noticed, but you know, what are you going to do? And then the cool thing is when you get into college, yep. uh, because you're conceptually an adult, you're not required to show your parents your grades. There like, you go. Like my grandpa used to call the college and be like, no, I'm paying for it. What's his grades? Like you have to talk to him, bro. <laughs> well, our nation's schools have gotten their report card and the results are not good. Ooh, they are not good. That's right. Uh, this was in the news recently. And I think it's one thing to notice how bad the school's performances or the children's performances on this national standard. It's called NAEP, the National Assessment of Educational Progress is. Um, it reveals a decline in reading and math scores in every state over the time of the COVID pandemic. It's the first time since NAEP's been around in the 70s that the scores have declined this dramatically. And so how bad are we talking? I mean, if you look at this over the course of decades, yeah. how, how bad is this? Uh, historically bad, Peter. It's historically <laughs> It brings bad. me no joy to say this. No, our children are Ill illiterate. Uh, <laughs> no, but basically the pandemic has erased two decades of progress in math and in reading. Uh, and according to the experts, and this is why it's really bad. The scores among the nine-year-olds that participated in this test that are actually quite predictive of a student's latest success in school and what they call educational trajectory. So what it means, right? Like the fact that we now have test results that show two decades of progress have been erased basically means that there's going to be an overall decline in academic success, and it's going to basically impact the trajectory of a generation because of the way our schools reacted during the COVID pandemic. That's remarkable. So this is not a temporary blip. Right. Uh, the trend is not going to be reversed quickly. And you've got kids that were at a vital age, nine-year-olds, 10-year-olds, 11-year-olds, who had this huge setback, and they're going to spend basically the rest of their academic careers trying desperately to catch up. No, that's exactly right. And it, it kind of makes sense, right? Look, I mean, the pandemic impacted everybody. Schools closed right. for a couple months at least, right? right. For some people, schools closed for longer. So you had school closures, you had hybrid learning, you had teachers unions um, that you know advocated for schools to close. But we also now have a report that I think this is a very important context to consume it in, that it's not just that the unions were focused on having schools closed, but the union's priorities actually have been shifting for some time. That's exactly right. When we think of teachers unions, we're talking primarily about the National Education Association and the American Federation of Teachers. We think of teachers unions 
like other unions, right? Their job is to represent their members, get them as nice a salary increase as possible, make sure their benefits are protected, make sure that they have job security. That's supposed to be the focus of teachers union. But the sad fact is, as we outline in this report, is their priorities have shifted. In fact, the unions are now spending far less of their time and money on representation activities right? Looking out for teachers and they're spending an increasing amount of their money and time on what? Over political activities that have nothing to do with representing teachers or helping kids in their academic performance. Yeah. What does the Bible say? Show me where your treasure is. And that's where your heart is. <laughs> if you look at where the teachers union's treasure is, uh, it is in far left, radical left-wing organizations. Yeah. And so let's, let's take a look at what we're talking about here. Now, this is not Eric and Peter just making this up or pulling it from somewhere. But it would be fun if it was. It would be, but the numbers would be even more dramatic, right, right, if that were the case. But these are actually taken from government reports. All unions are required to file disclosures with the U.S. Department of Labor. Those forms are publicly available. You can find them. And we went through to look at what the teachers unions are actually spending their money on as they are required to disclose them. So in 2021, which is the year that we have most recently a full year for, the National Education Association spent more union dues on political activities and lobbying than on representational activities. And it wasn't even close, by the way. In 2021, the NEA spent $66 million on political activities and lobbying and only $32 million, less than half, on actually representational activities, which is representing teachers and looking out for their interests. Like the stuff that the teachers actually care about. Now, okay, so in fairness to these teachers' unions, surely of the $66 million they spent on political activities, like some of it, I'm sure it's probably a pretty even mix, right? Like they kind of <laughs> sprinkle it around, a kind of a conservative farmer political campaign in Iowa and maybe, uh, I don't know, like a hairdresser in San Francisco, that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, it's interesting when you look at the lay of the land, of course, it, it used to be pretty traditional that, that, you know, Republican candidates tend to be not as favored by uh, teachers and liberal Democrats were that's of course shifted. Uh, you look at Ron DeSantis, of course, who had a massive increase in teacher salaries in, in Florida made him very popular, but in the 2020 presidential election cycle, 100% Of the $59 million in contributions to outside groups by the NEA and the American Federation of Teachers went to liberal causes, even though surveys show that about 57% of teachers identify as conservative or independent. So unfortunately, no, you don't get the both sides being represented as you you mentioned. So say that again, 100%, all the money that they spent on political campaigns for outside groups went to liberal causes, even though 57% or more than half of the union membership identifies conservative or independent. 100% 100% versus 57%. That's a truly damning stat, one that would be sure to outrage many, many people if, in fact, most of our children were now not mathematically illiterate. Looks good to me. <laughs> I can't tell what this means. But here's what's crazy. I mean, that so that's, to me, an alarming fact. Like, literally all the money that the unions are, they're spending more money than ever on politics and all the money they're spending on politics goes to these liberal causes, despite the fact that, according to surveys, less than half of the union membership is, in fact, liberal. But check this out, just to put it in historical context. From 2005 to 2021, the amount of money that these two major unions have spent on political activities has increased by $74 million. So a dramatic increase mm-hmm. in how much they spend on politics. At the same time, these representational activities you talk about, like the things like union you know, health insurance, like 
classroom safety, like, you know, uh, number of students in a classroom, that kind of stuff, right? Job stuff security. Jobs, yeah. you know, things that teachers actually, that impacts their day-to-day stuff, only $5 million. Yeah. And so, and for comparison's sake, right? So over the last 15 years, $74 million on politics, $5 million on actual job-related issues. At the same time, the students' performance, this is again, according to the recent NAEP data, and this is why the test results are so damning, actually are down, right? Students are actually performance on math scores is down from 2004 and performance on reading is down from 2004 as well. No, it's remarkable. And what's happened, of course, these numbers show is that these unions have always been political. We get that, but they are now dramatically more political than they ever were. And their representational activities really haven't changed. So, I mean, that's, that's basically the 5.3 million increase over 16 years is basically inflation, right? And so it's like, oh, breaking news, a union group is liberal. Sure. But it's like, it's not about their, like, I think it's a great point. It's not that their orientation has shifted. It's that the, the ability to leverage and sort of indulge in that orientation has dramatically shifted. And what the test results show is at the expense of the children who's the teachers are supposed to be in charge of educating, right. right? And oftentimes in conflict with the personal views of the members themselves. Yeah, exactly. And by the way, I mean, this brings me to to an interesting question too. I mean, you've got the American Federation of Teachers, yeah. okay? That name sounds like a union. National Education Association. It sounds like we're about education. We're about enhancing education. That's the name. And yet, as these numbers show and as the test scores show and as the priorities show, their priority is not education. It's not academic performance. It is looking out not even for the teachers, their members. It's looking out for the political interests of the leadership. And here's an interesting point. Teachers, the teacher pay is always an important issue. I'm going to give you a name of a leader at the American Federation of Teachers named Loretta Johnson, who took home in 2020 $1.4 million. Get it, Loretta. In compensation. Tell us about Loretta Johnson. $1.4 million. I mean, that's crazy. She's This is a nonprofit union, and she's pulling in $1.4 million. Tell us about Loretta Johnson. This is one of the findings in our study. Well, not to pick on my girl LJ and whatever kind of financial <laughs> largesse she's participating in. <laughs> But I think, unfortunately, Loretta's take home is actually indicative of like one of the cruel ironies of what the union's effort to go all in on their policies and their their politics means and why the test results are actually so damning. Because so, yeah, so Loretta Johnson took home one point four million in 2020 compensation in 2019. She was actually paid a much more uh, you know reasonable three hundred eight thousand dollars. <laughs> because she was treasury secretary of the uh, AFT. But so she has a few different jobs for this thing. One of the things that she did in 2014 was she chaired their racial equity task force. And, you know, the racial equity task force, I think everyone's sitting on bated breath. Tell us, AFT members, about (laughs) racial equity. (laughs) Loretta, tell us about it while you're making 1.7, you know, over the next couple of years. But one of the things they issued is that, quote, racial equity cannot be separated from the critical race theory influence concept of economic justice. And that that was those words back in 2015. Right. So they were ahead of the curve in pushing this. Well, maybe, or maybe we didn't know how much they were pushing it in the classrooms (laughs) until the pandemic happened. Everybody started paying attention to what's going on in the actual classroom. Right. So this is Loretta. Loretta Johnson, this is the work she was doing as secretary treasurer. Her salary in 2019 is 308000 which is, of course, an enormous salary. In 2020, she hits mega Powerball. I mean, she's taken in $1.4 million. This is according to the tax filings of the American Federation of Teachers. 
They don't tell us. Right. They give no indication of why her salary increased more than four times in a single year. We don't. We know that she, you know, obviously is sort of flying the flag of racial injustice. And that's consistent with where a lot of AFT's money and political priorities have gone. Are you suggesting racial injustice pays? Uh, it does if you're <laughs> one of the <laughs> groups getting, getting money from the AFT. Like, for example, they gave $100,000 in 2021, again, according to their filings, which we've analyzed for this new report, to a group called the Color of Change PAC. Uh, which supports liberal voter mobilization. uh, And they also support an organization called Voting While Black. Now, Voting While Black, if you've heard of them, opposes police unions and have actually referred to them as, quote, killer cop organizations. So that's an example of uh, probably some rhetoric you don't necessarily support. You don't want getting in the classroom, but you got classroom money going to them. Yeah. And, and, you know, let's talk about extreme, right? Mm -hmm. Again, these they're not giving money to organizations that in kind of a depoliticized way or in a community-based way is trying to encourage racial cooperation. These are extreme groups that talk about killer cops. They want to defund the police. These are radical organizations and union members, American Federation of Teachers, if you are a member and you think unions are there to just support you, make sure you get a good health insurance policy, make sure you get a good retirement program, this is what your money is actually going toward. Yeah. And I think it's fair to say that while the amount of money has dramatically increased in terms of the level of support that teachers unions now give to liberal organizations. Peter, would you also say it's fair to say that the politics of those organizations in terms of the amount of radicalization has also increased dramatically? I mean, that's a pretty damning statement, right? Yeah. But we've gone from, you know, think about 10, 15 years ago, the, the conversation in America was about affirmative action. It was about education programs. It was about, uh, you know, racial inequality, but but not in the kind of aggressive way that they talk about it now, where it's it's systematic. We got to burn down the entire house in order to fix it. I mean, it's a completely different mindset. And a lot of this is being funded by these teachers unions. Yeah. Where's Jesse Jackson when you need him? You got to exactly. lift him up, not lock bring him them, up. Yeah. Bring him bring <laughs> <a> moderate. Where's <laughs> a moderate Jesse Jackson? That we can, uh, Instead, it's like, no, police officers are trying to kill you. The so. best Jesse Jackson line, by the way, was in 1983. Ronald Reagan went into Grenada. Remember, there was that that short war. Not according to the CIA, but sure. <laughs> and Jesse Jackson's line was, we got to stop caring about the Caribbean <laughs> and we've got to start caring about the human beings. <laughs> great, great line. I mean, you can't, Jesse Jackson is amazing uh, and obviously would be considered a conservative at this point based yeah, on the, oh, the, absolutely. the people that the AFT is funding. So here's the, here's the point of all that, right? So the AFT is throwing tons of money to these like radical groups. And that's not new. Actually, we did a report earlier this year, Peter, as you may recall. I know you're quite busy with all your number one best-selling books and, you know, <laughs> trying to trying to make Loretta look poor. But, <laughs> but, but we I wish I had Loretta's job. <laughs> <laughs> so what, one of the things that we issued in the previous report was we went through all these resolutions that right. these teachers unions did. And so it's like, yeah, so now we're saying, hey, look at all the money they're giving these groups. Before we just knew, here's what they say they care about. And one of the things that they said they cared about in terms of their resolutions was they called on their educated members to participate in something called Black Lives Matter at School Week, right. which was this nationwide event to bring the principals and, you know, like, hey, BLM, we want to bring BLM from the streets to the classroom yeah. for several days of, quote, unique instruction. And so the, the point is, hey, what, Loretta Johnson, she's making all this money, but she's chairing this racial equity task force, they're giving 
six figures to these uh, black groups, color of change that are saying, you know, kind of quite controversial things. They're doing all these resolutions to support, you know, critical race theory and things like that. In the so, classroom. so, so they obviously care about the academic performance of minority students in the United States. So the policies they push like the lockdowns, mm-hmm. they obviously help those groups, right? Uh, not according to anyone. Oh, uh, but it, and but, the report card. What does this national report card say? Yeah. Also, not so good. Uh, everybody that got better during the lockdown, take two steps forward. Oh, not so fast. Black and Hispanic kids. Um, and that's that, that is like the cruel irony of it all to kind of pay yeah. it off. Right. Yeah. So so everyone's performance went down. And this is just consistent with how educational outcomes tend to happen. Right. I mean, the, the wealthier kids, the kids with that have privilege, the kids that have access. Wait, wait, to wait, wait. Privilege, privilege. I mean, I'm wearing a Lulu hoodie, so you know, it's a far be it for me to like. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think the issue is, is that you know, look, there there are advantages that wealthier families have because they have better, um, you know, electronics in terms of laptops for online learning. They can hire tutors. Their parents themselves probably, on average, tend to have a higher education level. So there's no question that that this is going to that this is going to affect poor and minority students. That don't have those advantages and the numbers are quite startling. Black and Hispanic students tend to incur deep, steeper declines, particularly in the fourth grade math area where they experience a seven point drop compared to white students who scored drop by an average of three points. So, so this pr- hammered, hammered minority communities, which the unions claim they're all about help, helping. I mean, think about like seven points versus three points. Yeah, it's only a difference of four points. Put another way. The average drop from minority students was more than double the drop of the white students. And again, it's because, you know, there's a lot of different factors to it. But when you go lockdown, you go virtual, then the kids that have less regular access to the computer all the time, a quiet place to study all the time, potentially a parent to be home with you because they have a flexible schedule all the time. I mean, and so the irony is, is for as much time and actual money and lip service that the union spent trying to act like, oh, we really care about Black Lives Matter. We care about racial equity and racial justice. Again, they gave, you know, $1.7 million to the lady that chaired their racial equity task force. What they what they care about are the racial equity organizations that are their political allies. They don't actually seem to care about how their actions and policies are going to hurt communities. So they want to make sure that their friends that are running these organizations get paid. They're pulling the political strings. They want to make sure that their own employees that are pushing this stuff get these fact seven figure paychecks. Uh, But they don't really care about the implications that their policies are going to have on pe- on people, particularly minority, who are who are absolutely devastated by the lockdowns. If you're a single mom and you're trying to give your kid a solid education, and you've got wealthy people in the suburbs saying no, close the schools and bring them all home. In the wealthy suburbs, the kids can cope with that. The single mom who's trying to raise her kid, who's got to go to a service job because that job was not shut down there during the pandemic. It's an absolute disaster. The question is, do the unions care? Have they issued any statements of apology? Have they claimed ownership of this and said, this is a bad thing that we did? The thing that's going to be even worse for the unions is there's actually now comparisons that highlight just how bad relative to their peers or competitors, the union pushed policies were. So, you know, we do this podcast from the free state of Florida. Right. Now, my first real job was with the Florida Department of Education. It was when Jeb Bush was governor and he made education a real priority because our education stuff was lacking. Like we were so bad. We had the slogan, Florida leads the nation in 
rising student achievement. <laughs> That's genius. That's genius <laughs> it is branding. genius. You'd think Jeb's campaign would have been a lot better. <laughs> because we were like we were get we were bad, but we were getting better faster than any other of the bad student states, right? That's what right. we we're doing. But now, partly because of how much everyone's performance declined after COVID, Florida, according to NAEP, now ranks third. And it's not like Florida's education policies were, I think, dramatically innovative. We just had school. Right, right. Right. We didn't didn't lock down. And by the way, there weren't people dying in schoolyards because of COVID. There weren't teachers that, you know, went home and expired because they had to go to school. It worked well in Florida and kids didn't suffer because of it. Iowa's another state. Iowa, then the report points this out. Iowa's performances improved or like declined the least compared to the rest of the country because they were one of the states that said, no, 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 we're going to keep these schools open. They pushed back against it. And so Iowa's performances dramatically increased. Again, we have a Republican governor said, no, we're going to make sure this thing happens. And so, you know, we've talked before. It's crazy to think how dramatically everyone's just, you talk about human beings versus Caribbean, but how much (laughs) their lived experience can change now based on the politics of the state you live in. Right. Right. I mean, this is, I think this is the first example. And then now we have the data to show, no, here's how much more. If you lived in a red state, the odds are your kid's better at math now right. than your kid that went to California. Yeah. Right? Your and, kid can read better. Yeah. And that that's the remarkable thing. I'm old enough to remember that in the 1980s, the California schools were considered the kind of leader of the nation. Uh, and that, of course, has declined for a lot of reasons. But these lockdowns have made it worse. And here's the problem. Their solutions to all of this are to say, well, we need to throw more money at it, right? The, the, the solution here is not to go back and reassess what we did wrong, look at our assumptions, look how we failed students. It's actually to throw more money at the problem. Any any other solutions that they have on the table? Well, here's the crazy thing to think about. So, I mean, and this sort of, I think, is like the summarizing kind of crystal thing. Of all the things that the union spent money on, not the least of which is these Black Lives Matter groups and everything else. They also gave three and a half million dollars to host the Democratic National Convention in 2020. Oh, wow. Now, do you remember the 2020 Democratic National Convention? I don't. Where was it? It was in Milwaukee. Ah, okay. Remember, this is like 2020. That's the George right. Floyd summer. Yeah, yeah. So it was basically one giant. I mean, Joe Biden's white, but you wouldn't have known it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, corn pop and everything. It was like, <laughs> that's right. But it was basically like a giant, hey, we're here. We see you. You know, we're going to be a right. voice because Donald Trump's a racist. And so we're Democrats and we're the right. we're championing, uh, you know, the cause of racial reconciliation right. and um, we want to do everything. But so the, the irony is, is that the actions of the unions by keeping schools closed, we now have the data support has conceptually caused irreparable harm to a generation of minority students. And their solution to this is? Well, I don't know what it would be, but we do know Democrats are in favor of reparations. So yeah. that that's that's the shocking thing. So this is a this is a problem that they have made far worse. They've contributed to and their solution to this is not to take responsibility for what they've done, not to reassess it. Their solution is to blame somebody else, which is to blame quote unquote the system, blame wealthy people who were able to get through the pandemic easier rather than looking at themselves. And that's where we are as a country. These unions have become political activist organizations. And you have to ask yourself, if you're a member of the American Federation of Teachers or NEA, do you support this stuff? Don't buy the line. I'm sure when you get the mailer, you know, to pay your dues or they're communicating on a, on a regular basis, what they're doing. I'm sure what you're seeing is all the work they're doing on representational activities, all the teachers jobs they're saving, all the salaries are increasing. They're not talking about this political stuff. But when you look at the numbers and you drill down and assess where the money is actually being spent, 
The union bosses are lying to you. It's ending up in their pockets, as in the case of Mrs. Johnson, or it's ending up with these radical organizations that have nothing to do with helping academics at all or helping teachers. In fact, a lot of the policies they push are making the academic situation worse, not better. No, it's exactly right. It's a damning situation. Uh, and if you'd like to know more of the specifics about this, we actually have a, a new report that's on the website, thedrilldown.com. It's, um, I think it goes into great detail and shows you with graphs and everything else just how much money and how I think misguided the political spending priorities and just conceptual priorities have been of the union organization. So I recommend you check out that report as well. Absolutely. The report has a lot of detail as we always try to do. We don't tell, we show. So you're going to see a lot of interesting organizations they're supporting, the amount of money. And again, all of this is coming from their filings with the federal government that they are required to do. So final thoughts, you've got four kids in school. You've got four kids in public school. Yeah. Uh, I'm a product of public schools. You are as well. The teachers unions, of course, have a power and influence there. What are your final thoughts as a parent, but also as somebody that's looked at this? As a parent, I'm now concerned that, um, you know, my children are illiterate. And, <laughs> you know, I thought I could get away with sort of, you know, between the podcast stuff and all my business stuff, like being an absentee parent's been okay for me. And now I'm going to have to re-engage. <laughs> You're not an absentee parent. <laughs> but anyway, I think that's good advice. Get engaged. Uh, pay attention. If you are a member of a union, don't take what they're telling you as the truth. Uh, you know, look at the actual numbers of where they're spending their money. Well, thank you as always for joining us. You can find this podcast at thedrilldown.com or other places where fine podcasts can be found. You can also find this report uh, at thedrilldown.com. Thank you all for listening. Until next time.